Romans 11 is probably some of the toughest stuff to teach on and to really grab a hold of what is really being said there, I think. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't even know that Paul completely understood what he wrote. I'm not sure. But, but this idea that, that God shuts us up in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all is just this incredible concept that, that, that not only do we need to grab a hold of, but we need to continue to hold this idea of God's mercy even in the, in, in, in the realm of our disobedience. I think we need to hold that very close to our hearts. I think Paul did in his response as we read in verse 33. He says, oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I'm reading from the New American Standard 2020. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Just an incredible expression of, of praise, an incredible expression of worship here. And, and as, as I thought about this, I just thought, wow, I really get to speak on my favorite subject this morning. I don't always get to speak on my favorite subject. Actually, I wish I would, well, I won't go there. I'm, I'm going to say it. I wish I would speak on my favorite subject every morning, and that's worship. The subject of worship. And, 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 you know, Paul finishes this incredible theological uh, teaching, Romans 9, 10, 11, with this incredible expression of praise, this incredible expression of worship. And he's doing so, he, he's prompted, uh, I think, more so not because of what he has understood but recognizing the vastness, and that the term is also called the holy otherness of God, the vastness of the difference between us and God. And yet at the same time, while there's still that incredible distance between us and God, who came and filled that gap? Jesus did in the incarnation, God in the flesh. And, and so he comes and he's very close to us. He's very close to us, and yet he is so far beyond us. I, I went outside last night, and I didn't stay out long because it was cold. Right? I was talking to Mike. It, got, it gets cold quick right now for some reason, even though the days are warm. So I go outside, and I'm looking at the stars, and, and, and I'm just like, and he knows them all by name. That tells me they're probably different names. Did you ever think about that? And one of the stars up there is probably named Bob, but there's probably not a star up there named Bob Jr. I mean, he, he, he is that creative. He is that immense. He is that so far beyond us. And the, 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 the trouble 
with that for some people is when they really start thinking about the immensity of who God is, that they throw up their hands in either disbelief or frustration because they cannot apprehend it. They can't fully comprehend it. Now, we spent a lot of time in Romans 9, 10, 11, did we not? And I think you learned some things out of 9, 10, I did. Uh, out of not, if not, we're going to go, start in Romans chapter 9 next week. No, I'm kidding. I won't, I won't do that to you. All right. But as much of the things that I either learned or relearned in these three chapters, it beckoned me beyond that which is written and to say there is so much more out there that I do not understand. And, and oh, the depths and the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. A lot was revealed, even in this, this entire book, wasn't it? And we're still not done yet. I can't wait to look at Romans 12 next week. A lot was revealed, but, but even in that revelation, I realized that there is so much more. Now, I believe that we stay within the confines of what is written, all right? That's, that's, and, and yet, I, I think there are times that God reveals us to, to even a greater layer of the depth of his written word. That he is really saying often so much more than we really want to take on the surface. And, and the depth of, his, of the riches both of his wisdom and his knowledge. Again, I'm thinking about this last night as I'm looking outside before I decided it was too cold and go back, went back inside, right? You are so wise, God, to put those stars in the sky. And, and actually, sailors used to navigate by them because they were trustworthy. And, and, and they, could, they could use what's called a sextant, right? And I, I've never even bothered to even consider what the, what's that's all about. But they would, they would chart the stars, and they would be able to chart their position and their course uh, that they were, they were sailing in because they are, they are that dependable. The, the wisdom and the knowledge of God, the wisdom is really the application of knowledge, the proper application of knowledge. And the knowledge is to recognize the, uh, the things that are. And, and and when I think about that, that that God knows us, all right. He has incredible knowledge of not only us as humanity, but He knows us individually. He has the, I, I hate this verse, the hairs of our head numbered. Okay. I used to love that verse. One day I will again when I had full dreadlocks in heaven. But anyway. Uh, He knows us. He knows the details about us. He even knows what a jerk you can be, which is amazing. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me. We sang it earlier. He knows those things about us. And because he has that knowledge, his wisdom is how he 
relates to us on a personal level. The doors that he opens, and at times, the doors that he closes. Those times where we hear the still, small voice, Talk, spoke, written about in 1 Kings, that Elijah experienced, that, that the psalmist said, be still and what? And know that I am God. And, and, and I, I just have to wonder, and I don't know, and, and your mileage may vary on this anyway, but I have to wonder how much it was that af, when, when Paul sat, when he, when he closed his computer at the end of verse 32, okay, you know he didn't do that. But anyway, when he stopped writing verse 32, how much time did he really spend to really reflect? And to, to find that place with God, Psalm 32, 7 says, you are my hiding place. Because I, I know that when I, when I get to those places in life, where I do not understand, and particularly within the last two years, that has been often, I recognize that he is my hiding place. That he is the person that I can just simply sit with. And express my heart. And tell him how I feel. And, and to, to find the, com- follow me on this, to find the comfort of sitting in the unknown. Because though he slay me, Job said, I will yet still trust him. And, and if that is my heart, and I hope it is, I hope it's yours, and I recognize there are times I've got to wrestle to get that heart or to keep that heart. You, you understand what I'm saying? But if that is truly my heart, then, then, then I really bring myself to the place where I recognize that Jesus is enough. He is simply enough. And I can trust in him and I can rest in him and I can just bring these things to him. And, and even as I walk away from those times, without any resolution. Do you ever pray and feel like God doesn't answer? Does it make you angry? Sometimes. But to walk away from those times when you don't get the answer you need. And yet walking away with a sense of confidence that he is. God has us under control. I wish he would do it my way. Who has been your counselor? We sang that too this morning. <laughs> okay. That was on purpose. All right. You, you know, God has never asked me for a consult. Have you given him one? Of course you have. If you haven't, you should. 
Because what I have found is when I give God a consult, there have been times that I put it out there on the table. My table's grow anyway. I put it out there on the table before the Lord, and all of a sudden, it's like he says, seriously? Clean up your mess. But he is the safe place in which I can unload. The riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God in how he relates to me. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. Or as the New King James uh, has said it, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His ways are past finding out. And and in, in the combination of those of that sentence, the unsearchableness and his ways uh, 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 beyond finding out or past finding out, as the New King James says, the way that this is constructed, this is a combination of a few different words in the Greek. And it refers to footprints. And it refers to a trail. Uh, a, a trail that has been walked on. And, 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 and within the concept of the way this is written in the Greek, there is what's called an alpha privative. All right? In other words, when you put an A in front of something, it negates it. So what it is talking about is the footprints that we cannot see, the past that we do not comprehend. So how does he expect us to walk with him? I think he expects us to walk in faith with one step at a time, often. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what it's like doing that. I really don't. I want to see the plan. I want to see the telos in the Greek, the end game, the result, the goal, the purpose. That one song that, again, I've mentioned it before. We don't sing it because the song, the melody's kind of weird, but anyway... But it, it, one of the lyrics in this song, I really like it, talks about down the road of suffering to the wedding feast. And, and that our life is really often about down the road of suffering to the wedding feast. Because what I've found even in my life at times, if I am not suffering over something, I'll find something to get irritated over. Right? Just me, huh? Okay. But... The wedding feast is there awaiting us in the future. But his ways are unsearchable. His paths are, are, are beyond our ability to find out. And then in verse 34, he starts to use a kind of a conglomeration. That's not a good word. Or a mixture of different Old Testament um, verses. But he's kind of he's taking the concepts and he's kind of melding them together. Now, he can do that. Why? 
because he's led of the Holy Spirit to do this. This is the inspired word of God, so I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm not so sure I would want to do it myself, but maybe I do it more often than I think. But, but nonetheless, he starts to kind of mix these concepts, and he asks the question, for who has known the mind of, of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid him? It's a rhetoric, two sets of really four uh, rhetorical questions. The answer to it is nobody. But do you realize that Paul also says that we have the mind of Christ? Is that a contradiction? You bet it is. But nonetheless, while there are things about God that we do not understand, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to find them out. There are things that we can pursue. There are things that we can, we can, we can know. There are things that we can apprehend. And, and did you ever start to think about the, your, the construction of your personal systematic theology? And yes, it is a personal systematic theology. And that's why I love to say your mileage may vary, because if that's what you want to believe, go for it. But anyway, um, do you ever consider that to be a, great, a gift of God? Your ability to understand the things of the Scriptures, where Paul says that to the carnal man, this stuff is what? Is foolishness. And, and, and often it is, it, it, as I think about the greatness and the grandeur and, and the, the otherness of God who has come close in the incarnation. I feel that, and I, I feel this way this morning, I feel like I, I'm just touching the hem of the garment. The woman with the issue of blood who said to herself, if I just touch his hem, I will be, I will be healed. And if that's true, can you think about what heaven's going to be like? First thing I'm going to do is I'm heading for the first seminary. All right? I'm going to enroll. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, um, I can't wait. I hope some of you are sitting in that class with me so you get straightened out, but that's Okay. Who has known his mind? These are things that the Holy Spirit gives. These are the things that the Holy Spirit breathes into our hearts and our minds and our lives. And, and then, again, going back to the knowledge and the wisdom of God, then, then, then the, or, the, the events of our lives become orchestrated by the Spirit, and he uses the events in our lives to really further... Uh, give us a greater knowledge of who God is. And, and I, I was reading last night, and, and uh, I was reading about grace, and I was reading about not only God's grace to us, but if God has been gracious to us, then we need to be gracious to others. And I, 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 really, I really didn't want to read that. Really, I, th I thought of a person. I won't, I won't tell you the circumstances. And it is, it's not really a big deal. But 
And it's nobody you know, by the way. Um, another pastor, and like I said, I, my, whole, my whole goal on this earth is to get out of the pastor section of heaven. But anyway. Um, and I thought, you know, that is so true that if God has been this gracious to me, then I really need to be gracious to him. And if you see me in a group of pastors, the one that I'm the nicest to, that usually means the one that I dislike the most because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to overcome it. You know, I'm trying to, all right, God, you, you told me to be, be gracious to this guy, so I'm going to be. Um, but, but just the, the, the struggle of that uh, and, 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 and saying, okay, Lord, you have given me the mind of Christ. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling? How are you going to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling? We've been given an incredible, an incredible resource. The word of God, of which when we read, and the Spirit illuminates it to us, then we have the decision to make whether we're going to be good stewards over that which we've read, or we're just going to say, well, yeah, it was great. I read my Bible today, but it didn't change my heart. Then what are you doing? Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. You've been given the mind of Christ. Decide that you are going to be conformed into the image of his son. Be, decide that you will present your bodies a living sacrifice. We'll get there next week. It's really tied together. Who has given to God first and who would pay him back? I, 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 I think that's... that's it, what's interesting about some of these concepts that Paul is taking in, in verse 34 and in verse 35. Remember I said it's a conglomeration of a couple of different Old Testament verses. A few of them are from the book of Job. Have you ever read the book of Job? You should read the book of Job. Some of you are living the book of Job. And Job, Job loses his livestock. Job loses his crops. Job loses almost all his servants, except for the ones that were really fast. And he loses all his kids in one afternoon. And he has to wrestle with the incredible tension of wanting to walk with God and living in a fallen world. And in Job 15... Um, the, the, the question is asked by Eliphaz. Remember his counselors? Eliphaz was one of them. They, weren't, they were not counselors that I would want to go see and talk to. But he asked the question, have you heard the counsel of God? Or do you limit wisdom to yourself? Have you heard the counsel of God or do you limit wisdom to yourself? I think that's a really important question to ask. 
I had a, a, a guy I know that he came up with this whole theological construct as he lay on his bed and believed the Spirit taught him all this in one night. The only problem is it's antithetical, completely opposite of the historic Christian faith. Is there a problem there? Yeah. That voice you heard, was it the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Was it another spirit? Maybe. Was it the enchilada you had the night before? Possibly. Have you heard the counsel of God? I think that's an incredibly important question. Because I'm, I'm, I'm talking with some guys now, I'm working with them, and, and they, they're telling me they've never heard the counsel of God. They're both former pastors, by the way. Never heard God. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking audibly. Has God ever spoken? Well, don't, don't answer. But I sense God. I hear him in so many different ways. I sense his presence in so many different situations. And, and have you heard the counsel of God? And if you have not, you have not because you ask not or that you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust, James said. Sometimes the best thing that God can do to you in your life is not give you an answer. And all that, oh, it makes me mad. It does. It does make me mad at times. It's like, I gave you my life a long time ago. I'm pastoring this church, and you're not even answering me, you know? And then I hope the neighbor wasn't outside, you know? <laughs> you know, but sometimes we really have not because we ask not or we ask that we might consume it upon our own desire. Have you ever met people who have taken that which God has given them and they consume it on their own desires? I've met a lot of them. I'm trying not to hang out with them in heaven, okay? <laughs> Again. But do you limit wisdom to yourself? How does God speak? Speaks through his word speaks through others, speaks through nature, the cloud, the sky, the stars, even the mountains. But do you limit wisdom to yourself? You see, when we limit wisdom to yourself, what are we really saying? We're claiming our own deity. Essentially, that's what we're doing. And that... that that can be a very challenging thing to do because, because some of us, God has given great responsibility. And to be able to steward that. And, and what I have found is that, that, that it, when God has given you great responsibility, sometimes in your, in your desire to steward, steward it properly, you're going to get all kinds of noise, all kinds of really bad advice. That sounds really spiritual. 
usually begins with, hey, brother. But anyway, but and, and, and the, the, what we need to do is we need to separate the wheat from the chaff. And allow the voice of the Spirit of God to cut through all the noise that you and I are living with today. And who was first given to God? See, this is such a, it's almost a ridiculous question. Who was first given to him that he would pay back? God is no debtor to anyone. Please don't ever think that you're doing God a favor. You know, the, Moses almost missed it when he went Exodus 3, burning bush. Because he's at the burning bush. He's been out in the desert for 40 years taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Poor guy. And he, he has his experience at the burning bush, and he basically says to God, Get, find, find somebody else. Excuse me. And it was the grace of God that God didn't. Think about Moses at the end of his life. And who he was and what God had formed him into there in the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy prior to entering into the promised land, which, of course, he never got to go in, was able to see it. And, and the, the work that God did in his life, the, the, the character, God referred to him as what? A friend. God referred to him as a friend of God and referred to him. He wrote it, by the way. Moses was the meekest man who walked the face of the earth. I'd have thrown the pen away after that, maybe before that. But it was God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired for him to write that about himself. But he had to submit himself to that which God had called him to do. And in the context of his calling, God developed his character. We've got to grab a hold of that. In the context of his calling, God grabbed, gets a hold of our character. I, I'm, I'm convinced that most pastors, are, they're, they're really the equivalent of spiritual special class. They really are. <laughs> You know, well, God didn't call me to be a pastor because I was godly. God called me to be a pastor because he knew I needed a short leash. And it's that way with, really, I think with many of us. This is really speaking of God's preeminence. We never do God favors. God is never indebted to us. Matter of fact, Paul tells us to owe no man anything but what? But love. Yes. And, 
And the idea of God's preeminence is the recognition that he is always the initiator. If we're the initiator, there's something wrong there. God is the initiator. We're the responder. Verse 36, and then I'm done. This is, wow, this is a great verse. I'll, I'll give it to you on the New King James. For of him, through him, and to him are all things. To whom, that is to God, be glory forever. Amen. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is from God. Everything that exists, the entirety of creation, is his handiwork. And it was not only created by him, but it is sustained in his existence by his power, and Colossians says this, and by also by his love. This really speaks to God's sovereignty. So I'm going to try to unpack that. We're getting low on time. I'm going to try to unpack this briefly, then we'll be done, okay? If God is sovereign, then why is the world such a mess? You ever thought about that? I think about it all the time. And the reality is, that in the, it, the short answer, the world is such a mess because of sin that entered the world. And with sin became selfishness and, and overly ambitiousness. And, and all those things that, that, that just contribute toward the decline of a society. See, Romans in itself, especially these first 11 chapters, it's about the restorative justice of God. And, and, and in, earlier in the book, it talked about a universal human idolatry, a human disobedience, and how sin has not only corrupted humanity, but it's corrupted all of creation. We read that in Romans chapter 8. Even creation groans for its redemption. And in the midst of these inconsistencies, I believe this book is calling us to re-examine life in the light of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who is the Messiah. And the gift of the Spirit who, who guides us and enables us and empowers us. And, and that even in spite of the sinfulness of man and how the world has been made a mess, God is still faithful. He's still faithful to his creation. He is still faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we are the inheritors of. And the fullness of his work is being played out as the kingdom of God advances. Little by little. And that's why we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
when we worship, we are recognizing our dependency upon God. And that we are subordinate to him. And it does create that distinction between creator creation. And as I was writing about this, just the acknowledgement of God that you have totally outdone my ability to even understand you. And yet you have given me so much whereby I can understand you. Paul understood this when he tells the Corinthians, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but one day we will know as we are known. Isaiah 55, verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're, they're, they're so different, and yet he's given us the mind of Christ. There's, there's a, what a tension. There's so much tension in the Bible. I've shared this with you before. Some of you get it. Some of you don't believe me. Your mileage may vary. The thing about the tension is it calls me to a God who is greater than I am. It causes me to recognize the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And my response simply can be Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We dwell in his secret place and we will abide in his shadow. How do I abide in his shadow? I got to get right next to him. Because if I get too far away, I get out from under the shadow. Even in that little verse, Psalm 91, it is a calling for us to come near to God, to draw near to God. And what? You know the rest of it. He will what? He will draw near to us. Now, he always wants us in his presence. He always calls us to himself, but he also wants us to come willingly. Not with the bridle and bit, Psalm 25 but to come willingly. The depth, the riches, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. And when I think about that, I'm undone. And all I want to do is come near him. 